So Daniel chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven, churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground, so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back it had four wings, like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth, it crushed and devoured its victims, and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the ancient of, ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from behind him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The courts were seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch, because of the boastful words that the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain, and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth, but the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever, yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the four beasts, which was different from all the others and most terrifying, with his iron teeth and bronze claws. 
the beast that crushed and devoured its victim and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up, before which three of them fell, the horn that looked most, more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke, spoke boastfully. As I watched this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favour of the holy people of the Most High, and time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise different from the earlier ones, he will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hand for a time, times and half a time. But the court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Thank you, Wendy. Wedding tomorrow? Always fun. Uh, I love weddings. And one of the things I love about weddings is, um, is often that the speeches bit that you've got. And in the speeches, there are kind of two types, aren't there? Two sort of uh, types of comments that are made. Uh, on the one hand, there's kind of the, uh, the facts. You know, so how did Romeo and Juliet met while well, our families were fighting? You know, you kind of have the story of, of what happened, the story of kind of the, the, the love story, the facts of the matter. But then you, you have kind of the, the feelings part, you know. Oh, my love for you is like an onion. Well, I smell. You know, it, it's that sense, it's, it's the, those pictures that are used. No, of course, they're layer upon layer. You know, my heart flutters. Do you need to see a cardiologist? No, it, it's that sense of actually, it's that picture that you're using to describe something that you're feeling. Uh, there's kind of the, the facts, the, the story of what happened, and then there's kind of picture language to use to help us understand uh, what's going on. Well, now we come uh, to a different part of Daniel. Uh, the first sort of six chapters that we've been going through have been more in this sort of story arena, kind of a story of things that have happened. You know, Daniel went into the lion's den and so forth and so forth. But here now, as we come to chapters uh, 7 to 12, uh, we enter a whole different type of, of literature, uh, what we often called um, apocalyptic literature. Uh, that word just means um, revelation. You might remember it if you were here when we looked at the first bits of revelation. And we were saying that, that then we looked at revelation and here, what, what's really going on is that the curtain is being drawn open. Uh, that here is kind of the, the world as it presents itself to, to you and to me. Uh, but as we read these words, we're, we're having the curtain drawn open so that we can see uh, kind of what's going on behind the scenes. It's enabling us to have that inside view. 
Uh, but it can be really hard. So uh, Martin Luther, who we often uh, quote from here sometimes, he said this. He said, uh, they have, they, that's the people who write this sort of literature, uh, they have a strange way of talking like people who, instead of proceeding in an orderly manner, ramble off from one thing to the next so that you cannot make head or tail of them to see what they are doing. It's hard. I know you kind of understand when you hear Daniel 7 uh, what he's getting on at. It can be hard to, to understand. This is picture language to help us to grasp at something. It's symbolic. It's often referring to to big, uh, overarching, uh, universal claims. It doesn't easily kind of flit into uh, what we might term sort of literal observations. So again, another quote from a guy called um, uh, John Barton uh, has said this. We know the text which began, uh, the stars will fall from heaven and the sun will cease its shining, the moon will be turned to blood and the fire mingled of hail will fall from heavens, would not likely continue, and the rest of the country will have sunny intervals and scattered showers. His point is that these are not kind of like, it's not a forecast, like an accurate forecast, whatever that might look like, but it's not kind of something that you read and say, this is the manifesto of what's going to happen. It's picture language to help us understand bigger truths. So as we come here to these six chapters, uh, we're going to look at four visions, Daniel 7, 8, 9, and then 10 to 12. Uh, Four visions that are going to help us to to draw back the curtain and to understand a little bit of what's going on. So with that in mind, uh, let's pray uh, as we start. Father, we we thank you for your words. Uh, We thank you that it's good. We we thank you that it's there to help us. And so we pray tonight, Lord, that as we look at this bit of Daniel 7, uh, you would help us simply not understand what Daniel 7's about, but have a greater confidence in you, our good God. Amen. So when, uh, to the vision, when was this written? When did this happen? Well, chapter 7, verse 1, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. So we're taken straight away to to back to chapter 5 with Belshazzar. Uh, This isn't kind of happening after the lion's den, which was chapter 6. This is not a chronology. Uh, This happened earlier. This is earlier uh, in Daniel's uh, life, in chapter 5, and kind of as we understand it, uh, when Daniel had been uh, in Babylon for about 20 years. Uh, So it it happens then, and who's it to? Well, uh, it's to Daniel. Again, second part of verse 1. Daniel had a dream. And that's different to all of the other dreams and visions that have happened so far. Because so far, if you think earlier, uh, people like Nebuchadnezzar has had the dream. And then Daniel's come and interpreted it for him, told him what was happening, what it was about. Whereas here, the dream's not gone to somebody else, it's gone to Daniel himself. So what we might say is that actually the first six chapters... uh, was sort of uh, God's word to God's world, uh, to the world through the prophet. Uh, Whereas here, actually, it's more like it's God's word to God's people uh, in these latter six chapters. 
It's not God's proclamation to the world. It's God's sort of proclamation to his people. So what's happening in this vision? What's going on? Uh, well, uh, Daniel says, in my vision at night, verse 2, I looked and there before me the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Now, you might know that in that sort of uh, Middle Eastern fort, the, the sea uh, represented sort of chaos. It, it was sort of this great big entity that couldn't be controlled, that, that out of it came disorder. But did you just notice, as verse 2 was read, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea, and from the sea the four great beasts came. Actually, it's the Lord's hand that's involved in the coming forward of these beasts. They don't come forward randomly. They come forward under the sovereign hand of the Lord. And then we get these four beasts. Now, uh, there's a few times in this sort of uh, chapter when you might see images on the screen that, that you, know, you type into Google, kind of, you know, son of man or ancient of days, and you get all sorts of random images. But uh, there isn't kind of a photo that we can pick and go, this is what it looks like. Uh, they're just ideas to, to help that may even help you or might not help you. But um, these four beasts came. Uh, the first one, uh, verse 4, uh, the first was like a lion. It had the wings of an evil eagle. I, I watched until its wings were, were torn off, and it was lifted up from the ground, so it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. Uh, second one, verse 5, uh, and there before him was a, a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one side, so it's a, an uneven bear, if you will. And it was raised up on one side, and there were three ribs in its mouth, between its teeth, it was told, get up, eat your fill of flesh. The third beast, verse 6, after that I looked and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back it had four wings, like that of a bird, and the beast had four heads. And it was given authority to rule. And then lastly, this fourth beast, as more detail uh, I won't go for it all, but it, it had iron teeth. It, it was crushing people under its foot. Uh, it had ten horns. It had the, the eyes and the mouth of a human, and, and it spoke boastfully. It, it's a terrifying sight, this last beast in particular. It's it sort of uh, captivating Daniel and his vision. It, but then something else sort of comes into view. It's as if the, the camera just shifts. But there's this, this terrifying sight, but yet his eyes just moved across. Verse 9, as I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. The one who is is perfectly white, pure. Uh, The the one who's uh, surrounded by fire. Uh, The one who before him has uh, multitudes and multitudes and multitudes who are there. And the one who's in a court 
with the books open. And then just in a, almost a, a, a brief comment, verse 11, then I continue to watch because of the, the boastful words that this fourth beast was speaking. And I kept looking until the, the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. Just this, this mighty, terrifying beast, almost with a word, is slain. Almost with a word, he's done away with. And the other beasts are are sort of given authority for a time. And then David watched as this this one that's uh, like a son of man, this, this, this one that is like a man, but, but, but not quite like a man, uh, is able to approach the ancient of days and is given uh, all authority and power and wi- wisdom and glory. He has everything. Uh, the nations uh, come to him and worship him. The beasts have come and gone, and now the, the son of man, is reigning. I mean, it's, it's a real sort of roller coaster, isn't it, of a vision that Daniel's had. He, he's kind of gone right down as he's seen these beasts, and uh, these beasts do sort of terrible things. And it just seems like they're sort of unstoppable. And before you know it, he's just going straight up as he sees this angel of days who sat there in authority with the books open, and the one who's a son of man ruling and reigning. No wonder, in verse 15, he, he's sort of troubled in spirit. He doesn't quite, it, it's just sort of overpowering for him. So w- what does it mean? What does this vision mean? Well, you, you might remember, if you know Daniel, that, that when Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, he needs somebody to interpret it, and Daniel's the guy who does it. Well, here, Daniel needs somebody to help him. And verse 16, I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of this. Now, again, this is picture language. We don't really have, doesn't need to know who that person is. But it's the idea that there's people with him and there, and they were able to help Daniel interpret what's going on. And he says, verse 17, well, the four great beasts are four kingdoms, four kings that will rise up from the earth. And you can imagine there's a whole mammoth amount of ink that's been spilt about kind of who these beasts represent and what's going on. Uh, some will say that, that, uh, that the first beast, that one uh, who, who was like a lion and had his wings taken off, is Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, the one who kind of, remember, had his authority taken away, uh, but then at one point was restored and so stood up and was speaking. Uh, that second beast, that sort of uneven bear, is uh, the Medes and Persians, because they're kind of an uneven kingdom, uh, one greater than the other. Uh, the third beast, uh, the leopard with four wings and four heads, it, it is Greece, because the Greece empire was split into four regions, all led by four different people. Uh, and that fourth beast, the one that's given uh, most detail, uh, is like Rome. Uh, and even there'll be some specific people, they'll say, and this is the person that perhaps Daniel's talking about. But it, it doesn't 
really matter exactly uh, who the beasts refer to. We don't need to know for ourselves exactly uh, who they mean. Because the key point is that, that Daniel's being shows that, that the rise of kingdoms and the fall of kingdoms and the rise of someone else and the fall of another kingdom, that kingdoms will come and go and they will keep coming and going. Because Daniel would have known uh, the prophecy of Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah 25 verse 11, uh, which says that the, the whole country uh, will become a detestable wasteland. Uh, and then uh, the king of Babylon will, will release you after 70 years. And so Daniel will know that we've been in captivity for 20 years or so, 20, 25 years. Uh, soon, in 50 years' time, you know, relatively soon, uh, soon uh, we'll be free. Uh, soon uh, we'll be able to return. And when we do that, uh, we'll be restored. It will all be, be great again. But the Lord for this vision is saying, no, 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 kingdoms will come. No, kingdoms will come and terrible things will happen. Just like in that fourth beast, verse 21, as I watched this horn was waging war against the holy people of God and defeating them. Verse 25, again, the fourth beast, he will speak against the most high and oppress his holy people. And try to change the set times and laws. The, the holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times and half a time. That's probably why, verse 28, Daniel was deeply troubled. Because he was, he was being shown that, that, that life is going to be really hard. There's going to be some really, really difficult times. But the key thing that, that Daniel is being shown is that Daniel... You will return after 70 years, but that won't be the end. But judgment will come. You need to be patient. You need to, to wait. It will take longer, but judgment will come. Verses 26 and 27. But the court will sit, and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdom's under heaven be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. See, Daniel, God's people, are counting down the days till they go, counting down the, the kind of the, 20, you know, the, the years until they are freed from captivity. And almost thinking, well, when we're free, that'll be when we're restored. But, but the Lord's saying here, look, that's not it. That's not how it works. Uh, your hope is not in the downfall of a kingdom. Uh, your hope is not to be that when the Babylonians go, it'll be great. Or when the Medes Persian go, then you'll be free or, or, or whatever. Uh, your hope is not to be uh, when the Babylonians disappear, you'll be okay. Uh, no, you are to, to wait you're to keep waiting and looking, waiting for the one who will judge, waiting for the one to establish and install his holy king. Your hope is not in the, the removal of a king, it's in the installation of one. 
God's king. And of course, the people had to wait. They got home from exile, and they needed to wait. They needed to wait, and the years, decades, centuries passed until there was one who walked the earth, who was a man, but not quite like any other man, who was someone who had all authority and power, who called himself the Son of Man, 29 times in Matthew's Gospel alone, who was a king who didn't rule with an iron fist, who were there to expel people from a land, but who ruled by giving himself up, his own life upon the cross, whose kingdom is not like any other kingdom, not located in a a geographic time and space as we understand it, but whose rule is sure, whose uh, rule is accomplished by his own death, the death that his subjects deserve, but then gives his subjects his life that they don't deserve as he rises from the grave. That's the restoration his people need. That's the the restoration hope they need to have. That's the real king. So as we come to this passage... What do we make of it? For us today, the 23rd of July in Hove. Well, uh, the first thing to say is that that there are hard days ahead. That that kingdoms will be here that that don't want to live God's way. Now, uh, in Hove, it's unlikely that that we're going to face the threat of the sword. But we, we can't forget that there are plenty of people in this world that will. You know, open doors say that one in six Christians that will face a, the real consequence of life-changing or life-ending consequences if they follow Jesus, because the, the, the rulers and authorities don't want to submit to Jesus themselves, and they want to be violent. In fact, they're violently opposed to it. That's probably not the danger for us in Hove, but we, we don't want to forget that. I think, actually, our, our greater danger is not perhaps the... Uh, the threat of a sword, it's the invitation of a sauna. It, it, it's comfort. It's the kind of, look, you can be a Christian, that's fine, but just chill out a bit. Just enjoy, just enjoy life. Don't worry about it. Just enjoy us all together. Let, let's all enjoy together. Let, let's be comfortable. Our danger is that we just will slip into that mindset that says that pulling back of the curtain doesn't exist. What we see here now is, is really what's going on. So sure, be comfortable. Sure, kind of, you know, live for today. No, brothers and sisters, we, our hope must be in the things not seen. Our hope must not be in, in, in that one day uh, a kingdom will rise and then when this government goes, things will be easier. No, no, our hope must be 
in the one who is established. In the Son of Man, that we can look back and say, look, there he is. Uh, Daniel's looking forward. We can look back and go, look, there's Jesus, the king, the one who died and rose again. There he is. That's our hope. And so Christians ought to live differently. We ought to be those that, that live as if that is a reality, that, that drawing back of the curtain is a reality. Living uh, with that in our view, knowing that, that kingdoms will rise and fall. They will keep rising, they will keep falling, but that kingdom will be established forever. Christians ought to live differently because we live for a kingdom that will never perish, spoil or fade. That we live for a kingdom that will never be moved. We live for a kingdom with completely different values. And so the question we must ask ourselves is, are we? Are we? Do we live differently? That's one of the reasons that, that we, uh, we read the Bible. It's the external word that can speak into our life, that we come to church so we can hear God speak to help us to remember that great kingdom. It's one of the, the ways that we, the reasons we say the creed together. It's wonderful to hear each other say the words of the creed, that we're saying we together as a corporate whole will live this way. That kingdoms will rise and fall, but we will live for the one who is established forever. It's one reason we pray that the Lord will, will, will reorientate our hearts. My, my heart is dreadfully clingy. And I need to pray that the Lord will help me to, to live for the kingdom of the Son of Man. And as we do that, as we uh, lift up our eyes, then as we walk through this world through the good days and the bad, that we reorientate our lives to see the victory of the sun. So in our, our deepest, darkest moments, we remember Jesus' rule and reign, that he's alive, that he will be the one one day who wipes away our tears from our eyes. And in our, our greatest moments, we remember that the greater is yet to come. We're not going to settle for comfort today because of what is to come tomorrow. Christians ought to live differently. Kingdoms will rise. But the ancient of days, the Lord God Almighty, sits above them all. He has established his, his son, the Lord Jesus, the son of man, who has given all authority, wisdom, glory and honor. So the challenge we must ask ourselves this day and every day are we living differently? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that this helps us to uh, draw back the curtain. Uh, we thank you that it helps us to have that confidence in, in who Jesus is, that your, your word ties up together. And we pray this evening, as we pray every time we come to your word, help us to have eyes to see you. And help us to live in light of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.